0: Hello, please let me see your ticket stubs for the Double Edge Double Bill. This week, Suspiria will dance until they're breaking two electric boogaloo. Each week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly slated yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. When we'll have two good movies, the other two bad ones, let the chaos begin. Uh, I am Thomas Mariani, and unfortunately, uh, my co-host, Ad, we mentioned this at the end of our last episode. He's going to be taking a bit of a break from the show for, you know, the next couple weeks or so. So I'm just standing here on this stage, and I'm going to break dance by myself, but I can't save the rec center on my own. I need some kind of help. From somebody out there who's gonna just come and pop and lock with me? Why, it's my guest host, the bigwig over at Talk Film Society, the podcast platform that we're on here, Mister
1: Marcelo J. Pico. Marcelo, start popping and locking. Hello, it's me, Marcelo Pico, aka Mother Susperium, here to help.
0: <laughs> is that is that your break 2 nickname? Like that's your shabadoo? <laughs> <laughs>
1: and I'm gonna dance on the ceiling. Here we go. oh look at him guys i can see it he's doing it right now in front of me (laughs) Uh, the entire room is in red tint oh god
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but welcome marcella Uh, you've been a guest on the show before though weirdly this is the first time you've been a guest since we've been a part of talk film society you know you're such a big wig out there have your own podcast to record you haven't had a chance to come back on the show until now when i desperately need you (laughs)
1: Yes, it just so happens uh, that, yes, uh, I mean, I'll talk about it in the Plex section, but there was an instance very recently where Thomas brought this up, and I go, well, all right, you convince me, I'll come back to the show. You're basically begging and pleading for me to come back, and hey, I'm back, here to help, I know Adam is away, uh, so hopefully I can fill that slot uh i i won't be as negative or as as grouchy as adam is i i i like the guy uh i'm a lot more positive i'm not gonna reveal my my thoughts in these films but let's just say i liked them both
0: <laughs> well all right you know, leave you know like a great podcast you you're <laughs> on front streets so they can stop listening great exactly Wonderful. You're, that's why you make the big bucks in this business sir. 100
1: uh, the biggest bucks sir so the many, biggest bucks
0: so much money <laughs> Sure. Uh, but we did invite you onto this, uh, even before Adam announced his sabbatical, uh, because I sent you a list of topics, as I usually do with guests, and you immediately gravitated toward our topic for this week, which we're doing in honor of Magic Mike's Last Dance. No, I'm sorry, Marcella, we're not doing a Steven Soderbergh episode. I you want to do one, I I'm, mean... I'm sure... Whenever we do another one, we'll probably have you back on for it. But, but that's not what we're doing today. I'm sorry.
1: I did, I did listen to the last episode where you guys picked the movies for this uh, episode. And I can't remember who uh, uh, had it as one of their picks that did not get chosen. But one of y'all, Mag- Magic Mike is an alternate. And, oh boy, was... <laughs> I mean, again, I'm going to have fun with this episode. This is going to be fun. But yes, I am super excited for the new Magic Mike, Magic Mike's Last Dance. I am a huge Soderbergh fan. He's my favorite film director. I'll participate in any way to get people excited for the new Magic Mike, uh, and I love uh, the genre of dance.
0: Yeah, because uh, our topic for today is dance movies because of that particular um, you know movie coming out. And I'm curious, Marcelo, uh, what attracts you to the idea of dancing on film and all the different sort of like musical subgenres and such? Why is dance such a big one for you?
1: It wasn't until a few years ago. That I really got into musicals as an adult, like I, as a kid, and, and I I'm gonna tie musicals into dance because it, it's all it's all connected, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so over the last few years, thanks to a friend of mine, uh, she recommended to me um some great musicals, some great dance uh, movies that I had never seen before, uh, because as a kid, I grew up to think that um you know I was maybe too good for dance, or I was a I was like, boy, I shouldn't be watching, you know, dance movies slash musicals. But no, that's wrong. So finally, I watched for the first time recently, like, Chicago, West Side Story, like, all the big important dance movies. And yeah, and then connecting this to uh, Magic Mike. Here we go. I do love the Magic Mike movies. Super excited for the new one, like I said. But Steven Soderbergh, in particular, he does know how to shoot, like, a dance sequence, like, like a like few other people can working as a cinematographer, uh, on like XXL, like like his sequence where Ta- uh, Channing Tatum, you know, dances in a garage to pony by genuine that is brilliant filmmaking. That's a brilliant dance sequence. So I can appreciate dance sequences. I'm totally on board with like any dance slash musical that you throw at me now I'm on board. So yeah, it, it took me 30 years <laughs> to like appreciate and fully like gravitate towards these musical slash dance movies and yeah i I, hey it's it's one of those aspects of like acting performing that i think maybe goes a bit like uh underappreciated you know the dance aspect the physicality of it um so when i see that on screen like say in a susperia remake or break into electric boogaloo i appreciate the aspect of performing you know so yeah there you go there's my answer i that's why i gravitate towards like dance movies yeah, I mean, it's
0: that started with me a bit younger because a big thing was um, I have two younger sisters and they were both in, like, dance classes. So I it became sort of like a part of the household where, like, they would love any kind of dance movies. I saw Save the Last Dance many times, Chicago, a lot of those, like, early 2000s movies were, like, a big part of that, uh, you know, just in my cinematic upbringing, as it were. And I, I, I've i always appreciated, I guess, the, the art of dance, as it were. I think especially when you capture it on film, it's so fascinating because, obviously, by the nature of, like, what dance usually is, it's usually on a stage and it's so ephemeral, where it's just, like, you only see it for, that, like, that one performance and then it's gone, as opposed to, like, capturing it on film, I think there's a lot of interesting different ways that you can, like, you know, get certain angles, get certain kind of like feelings about like what the actual dance kind of represents for the story in general. And also just, especially with in the case of like a magic mic, uh, it's hot, quite frankly, oh, yeah. it gets like really fucking seamy, especially <laughs> like when, by, by the time you get to, especially like magic mic XXL where like they're going full board with like how hot, the actual choreography is and how much it's like so clearly about not just the sexy like dudes with their shirts off it's like no it's actually about like that kind of intimacy you have with like a person who you bring up on the stage and make them feel special kind of thing and I think that's like really charming I rewatched both of those actually in the last couple days and it's been uh, really fun revisiting them and I'm definitely very excited for Last Dance where it's I guess Tatum's the only one returning right?
1: Yeah I mean so far as we know I I, I do know that they're not going to screen it for critics um, which leads me to believe maybe maybe the marketing is hiding something maybe warner brothers is hiding something maybe the boys will be back for three and we don't know it yet
0: oh no all our dancers are gone what are we gonna do and then joe magandello like breaks open the door (laughs) just said yes someone need a dancer like (laughs) fuck yeah that's fuck your avenger shit that's my kind of like oh they're coming back together maybe the band's back
1: that's my hope. That's my dream. I'm fully anticipating *Last Dance*, and yes, I may have watched the trailer m- several times. So I-, I do think we'll see the boys like, and in a little cameo. Maybe he does a zoom call. Mike does and goes, "Hey, Kevin Nash's character. What do you think of this? Uh, uh, what, what, what should I do for my London performance of this Magic Mike stage show?" So yeah, I'm fully expecting them to show up somehow. Uh, but yeah, I hey, like I do love those movies, Magic Mike movies. There was a turning point when I saw *Double XL*. Uh, for like maybe the fifth or sixth time and I showed it to an ex of mine (laughs) and then by the end of the movie she was like that movie doesn't that movie's not good and I go wait a second (laughs) so I knew right there in my heart that I was going to defend XXL until the end of time because even if like that person who I was with for several years didn't like it I knew eventually I could find somebody who did like it so that's my journey in life is finding a partner who appreciates XXL on the same level as I do.
0: I didn't like it as much the first time, but then rewatching it, especially this recent time, it's like, oh, why do I have any kind of issue with this? It's a Muppet movie, but with
1: strippers. That's a perfect analogy, Thomas. It's so fun, yes. <laughs> it, it, it 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 is so hard to describe to somebody. I was I was I was just trying to to uh, describe it to uh, our mutual friend uh, Marcus Irving, who I host a podcast with, several podcasts with at this point. Um, Because he hasn't seen either Magic Mike's. XXL is just like this sort of like nearly plotless journey of these big hot men dancing across America uh, to fulfill their dream of being the best dance troupe uh, ever.
0: They're very sweet, lovable himbo guys who just like want to make women feel good while dancing, getting
1: money. It's a beautiful movie. And yeah, it's it's a favorite of mine. I know Soderbergh didn't direct it, but he edited it. He it was a cinematographer. He has fingerprints all over it. I kind of wish we were talking about that movie. But hey, like I said before, these movies that we're talking about for this episode has a pretty good dancing in it.
0: Yes, let's go ahead and uh, get into because at the end of uh, our previous episode, we end up randomly picking between two good and two bad choices for the show. And We end up with our good pick, which was Adam's choice of Suspiria, the 2018 remake. And then our bad pick, quote unquote, uh, that was mine, of Break into Electric Boogaloo, though I think good and bad might be a bit more relative in this case. Uh, We'll talk about that more as we get to Break into, but first we're going to be doing Suspiria.
1: When you dance the dance of another, you make yourself in the image of its creator. I feel like I'm not even here yet. The It looks incredible. One, two, three. The way she transmits her work. You have to decide what is it you want to be for this company. There's more in that building than what you can see, Doctor.
0: You are living with dangerous people.
1: all a mess, the one out
0: there, the one in here. So Suspiria, the remake came out November 2nd, 2018 from uh, director Luca Guadagnino, And uh, obviously this is a remake of the Dario Argento movie. I'm curious, Marcelo, have you seen uh, the original Suspiria? What are your thoughts on the original before we get into the remake
1: here? I have seen the original Suspiria. It's been years. I purposefully didn't rewatch watch it uh, for this episode. Uh, because I'll just flat out say, I think the 2018 remake is... Uh, from my memory, again, I haven't seen the original in such a long time. I think the remake is better. Because for, from what I remember, the original... It's a solid movie. Pretty movie. In my memory, it's a little dull at times. Um, I kind of wish there was more to it, um, but I, I, I mean, of course I'm a, I'm a fan. I'm not going to come on here and say the original Susperia is bad, but from my memory. No, that's
0: exactly what you're saying, everybody. That's what Marcelo J. Pico officially says, original Suspiria, bad. <laughs>
1: but, but yes, I, I have to hand it to the remake because uh, I gravitate towards the remake a lot more than say the original Suspiria. Cause yeah, I, I appreciate the original. I understand why it's a classic but I don't necessarily totally vibe with it.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I've seen the original Suspiria, and I would say that's one of my favorites of the Argentos I've seen. I'm not hugely diverse in, like, Argento. Uh, you know, decry- my Italian ancestor's very angry about that, clearly, but um, I think that one's one of my favorites of his. But I think the big thing is, like, the original Suspiria is such a different movie compared to this one. And Absolutely. What, what works about the original is, like, it is very plotless, it's very short it feels kind of like this ethereal nightmare movie that just is like, you're stuck in this like dance academy where we're not doing a lot of dancing, but we're running around hallways. as horrible, like murders happen basically. And I love it for that. And like all the colors and all the stuff that we talked about previously, but I think what works about this *Superior* remake, which I have not seen since I'd seen it in a theater. This is my first rewatch in like I don't know, almost five years now. Um, and I liked it then. And I appreciate even more now, I think, because Unlike any other horror remake, like when this was announced and it was originally like David Gordon Green was going to do it and then he dropped out and there was like all this hullabaloo, I was really worried like why are you remaking Suspiria? What's the point of it? And I think what this movie gets right that a lot of other horror remakes fail to do is they take a lot of the basic DNA of the original movie and make their own movie out of that. And I think that's like what makes this stand out, I think, is I wouldn't say better than the original movie, but I would say is a worthy sort of uh reimagining, as it were, of the original movie.
1: Absolutely. And just to go back to uh, Argento, I did just see for the first time Tenabre. I think that I'm, I think I'm pronouncing that right. That one blew me away. That one I wish uh, uh, I wish the spray was a more along the lines of that. But yeah, I, I'm also not I haven't seen a lot of Argento, so I'm not an expert anyway, so please don't take my comments seriously when it comes to that. I I tell you this about the remake though. I love it now. Absolutely, I agree with you, Thomas. Like it's its own thing. It's kind of even unfair to call it Suspiria. Should be called something else, (laughs) you know, Um, Suspiria Remix or something. When I first saw this, I I saw this at Fantastic Fest. Um, I don't know if it was the premiere of it, the world premiere or whatever. It was like the fest, like the North American premiere. Uh, It was it was the secret screening that year. Uh, that's what happens at Fantastic Fest. They go, it's a secret screening. It could be anything. And it turned out to be Suspiria. After seeing it there for the first time, movie ended. I came out of it saying, I hate that movie. <laughs> Which uh, you I. You weren't I, alone, to be
0: fair. A lot of this is a yeah, very divisive movie when it came out.
1: Super divisive. And I was on that side. I was on the wrong side of history uh, initially. But it's just one of those movies, and this is why I love it now that just seeps into your brain. It's more of a vibe movie, as the kids say. It's all about the vibes. And it just stuck with me, and I'm like, you know what, I'm going to give this another shot. Shortly thereafter, it was it was in theaters after its premiere at Fantastic Fest. Saw it again in a theater. I go, you know what, this is actually pretty good. I, I raised my star rating a bit more, watched it again, I go, oh, you know what, this is great. And uh, Then I saw it, I think, uh, two more times after that. So, And now, I'm pretty much saying, yes, this is amazing. I love it. Uh, rarely does it happen. It, d- it does happen where every once in a while. Where I do see a movie, I hate it, and it becomes a classic for me after s- several viewings. That happened to me with Michael Clayton when I first saw it. I came out of Michael Clayton saying, that's a dumb movie. Who cares? Uh, whatever. Oh, another Tilda Swinton movie, actually. <laughs> I just that's had funny. that realization. Um, I don't know what it is about Tilda. Maybe it, maybe it requires uh, a second watch for, for me, all her movies. But this in particular... Yeah, I've seen it countless times, and I can say I definitely like it. But I, I get that divisiveness of this.
0: Yeah, and I think like a big part of that is like if you're say a horror person who like loves even like Italian horror, and you go into this movie that is like it's weird where the horror definitely is there. There's kind of like this gradual build of dread that continues throughout this movie, but so much of it feels like a really like sad, depressed period drama, <laughs> and yes. then occasionally like a person will die horribly. <laughs> And then just like oh, I'm I'm still like super bummed out about like Berlin circa 1977.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I, I mean, you just took the words out of my mouth, Thomas. Because like yeah, it, the the horror aspects are there, and it de- it definitely has like these insanely disturbing kills. Like the I, uh, one of the first kills, maybe the first kill, I forget, uh, where the woman is just like twisted like a pretzel, you know, mm-hmm. uh, slammed against the wall. I don't know what it was, but I've seen this movie countless times like I said, but seeing it today, that scene really shook me up. <laughs> it's it still has that power over me uh, as a horror movie. But again, like those scenes uh, uh, for a long movie like this, uh clocking in at what like uh 2 hours 30 minutes, like those those horror scenes are, are kind of few and far between, but they're they're still so effective. Yeah, and and, and in between those horror scenes, yeah, it is like this psychological drama with like the the background of berlin late 70s uh, uh raging on but I, I i mean yeah like i said it, i think it works overall because you just have this sense of dread and it came out at the perfect time in 2018 when so many themes that it's trying to say uh the themes of this movie that's getting across it feels so relevant now um i mean more so back then the fucking trump era but now it still sticks around there are certain lines that repeat in my head um i think dakota johnson says one point it's like why do people think things are gonna get better <laughs> which i think about a lot that's depressing um but yeah there's a lot of that in the movie like more cerebral uh, uh themes than straight up horror but that horror definitely still sticks with me especially those last like 20 minutes which is just in- insane to me i still think that's that that final sequence, uh, where Mother Suspiria is revealed, D- D- Dakota Johnson goes, "Hey, it's me." That entire sequence still blows me away. I, I still can't believe like Luca got away with it.
0: Yeah, I think the big thing with uh, sort of, like, what we're talking about in terms of, like, the themes that kind of resonate, it kind of feels like it's this weird thing where a lot of the horror-driven, like, witch stuff that was, like, so much more on the surface in like, the original movie is, like, all here, like, done in, like, the shadows and in the background um, as kind of, like, oh, everyone's distracted basically outside by, like, the nightmare horrors of, like, you know, like, the... Um, the big like hijacking that was occurring, which I wasn't even aware it was a historical event until honestly this movie, the, the hijacking of the airplane, and like apparently was a lot of, like these bombings and stuff that were mainly centered around like basically the youth of that era having difficulty with the fact that a lot of people who were in power that in the 70s were former people who used to either be Nazis or were affiliated with the Nazis in Germany. So it's a lot more like all that that outward horror is distracting people from all the backdoor horrible shenanigans that are going on inside of this dance studio. And even the dance studio is recreating that kind of like those issues of like people, like youthful people trying to deal with like abusive folks in power who don't have any actual idea what they're doing. And I think it's an interesting kind of like contrast. I think especially works with like a second time go around where like Dakota Johnson, who kind of feels like the perfect surrogate original for the original version of Susie Bannon, uh, Jessica Harper, who makes a cameo obviously in this movie. But in that original movie, she's very much like doe eyed and like walking around like an innocent. And in this case, Dakota Johnson initially feels like that. But if you've seen the whole movie, spoilers, we're going to talk about the fucking movie if you haven't seen it. She ends up being like, oh, this was all an incredible disguise, or at least like some kind of like, oh, this wasn't really realized her until eventually the ending, where she's like, oh, no, wait, no, I'm actually, I am Mother Suspiria. You're a fucking fraud, and I'm destroying this whole thing from the ground up and rebuilding it in, you know, my image. Like, I, I love a lot of those thematics that are driving through about just like the youth completely dishonoring like the old fucks in power who are just completely destroying things We're just like no we're going to rebuild this for us assholes you're gone bye
1: yeah yeah again this is a horror movie but it's just so entrenched in the politics of that time um and i've read criticism where they said like the movie's politics here like really don't line up with what was actually happening which i'm like fair but uh, on the face of it for a movie like this that's you know, a remake of a classic horror movie. I'm like, I can forgive some like historical facts. Like, yeah, this I, I could take this as 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 a, a, a historical fiction, right? Because it has witches in it. Um, but yeah, that that political stuff definitely sticks in my mind every time I see it now. Because yeah, I didn't catch it the first time. Like I said, like I hated this the first time I saw it, because I felt like why why do we even care about who voted for who? <laughs> you know, like to be like the the head mother in this like dance troupe. Like, who cares, right? But that, like, like you said, like that—that's what this movie's about. It's about these people in power who abuse their power, and a, a new generation coming in and trying to not make the same mistakes. And that's what sort of kills me about the ending in this movie, where I think, like, yes, like Dakota Johnson comes in, she says, "I'm the new—I'm the new leader now. I'm gonna, you know." kill all the people who voted for you know for the last leader try to clean you know clean the slate but it's just it just feels like oh i i hope they don't fall into the same traps again because it just it does feel like it's a cycle like every time this transfer of power happens it seems like uh or like as we see it on screen like this transfer of power happens it becomes like oh these things we've seen before already are happening again like the last 10 minutes like the epilogue. Um, so that's what gets me about this movie too. It is about like a hopefulness of like, yes, the youth, uh, um, can, you know, overtake, you know, a, a fascist government, but will they fall into the same traps as before? So that's what gets me about the ending of this movie. And that's why it still sticks with me.
0: Well, if anything, I think what makes me a bit more positive of that ending is just the fact that there's an, and many a huge tragedy to it, but like the fact that Dakota Johnson has the empathy to have like a mercy killing for like the Chloe Grace Moretz and, uh, Mia Goth characters and all that, who we've seen be horrible victims of all this that we've been talking about. And even having also that empathy for, um, w- we haven't really mentioned, Tilda Swin's in this movie, but one of her three parts in this movie, and probably the most like interesting, like different one, um, of of Dr. Joseph Klemperer, the male old man, um, having even that empathy toward him, where it's just like, we shouldn't have, you know, they shouldn't have done that to you. You are a complete, like, victim In this scenario, I totally apologize. And, like, giving that amount of empathy, I think, is what at least makes us feel at least, like, a bit more of a positive turn. Then again, I don't know, we won't be seeing necessarily uh, a follow-up in the Suspiria timeline, even though I know Luca wanted to do that, but this was such a flop that he's probably not going to be able to do his version of, like, Inferno or Mother of Tears, Uh, which were the technical sequels to Suspiria that Argento did.
1: Well, hey, Luca's doing fine. All on his own right now. I mean, I I, I still love the guy. Uh, I love Bones and all. I know that's another divisive movie. Um, but yeah, but but going to Tilda Swinton. God damn, is she amazing in this? Like yeah, it, like playing those three roles. And I don't know. At times, I get she's under heavy makeup playing the the the, the doctor. Um, but at times I'm like, okay, that's silly. But then other times I'm like, oh god, she's nailing it. Like she's like disappearing behind that makeup. Like I buy it. My, my one
0: problem with The Doctor is I wish they had pitched her voice down a bit. Yeah. That's still my one kind of thing that takes me out of it because it's like that clearly sounds like Tilda. <laughs> like yeah. you just pitched it a couple decimeters down. Decimeters down no, whatever. I don't know sound terms even though I record a podcast. <laughs> uh, a few decibels no maybe expert. down. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like I think that would have made it work a bit better. But still it's like phenomenal performance and amazing makeup.
1: Yeah. I mean I think you do more research than me. Uh, most of the time when you do your podcasting Thomas one I have several questions about this movie but I think that's the joy of this movie it's like there's so many things I can't answer or I refuse to answer about the story and uh, and the production but one thing I've always wondered that you maybe you know maybe you don't know is like why cast Tilda as this uh, doctor Uh, uh, and and like that whole story that whole gimmick of like when they uh, announced the cast like she was credited as like Lutz Epsdorf <laughs> as like right. a like a, a quote unquote unknown actor. So they're trying to pull one on us. Like, hey, uh, we're, we're not going to tell you Till Swinton's playing you know a, a, a decrepit old man. But yeah, I, I I've always wondered it's like why. I, I mean, I get that it plays thematically in sort of this world of women, um, and maybe the only person who can like infiltrate this world of women and connect with them is a man who is played by a woman. I kind of have that loose uh, connection with like that theme, but I don't know. Like, do you has do you know of any like rationale there, Thomas, uh, of why Tilda decided to go Doctor Strange level uh, with this movie?
0: Um, I'm not exactly sure of like the reasoning why necessarily was her. Um, though I I think like it was maybe from what I vaguely remember, I think it was kind of written in that she would at least play. Uh, you know, those parts necessarily. But I agree with you that I think like what matters more is like thematically, but I think it interests what it plays into is that because you have like this woman playing like this part of this man who is like older and also has like dealt with so much of like the trauma that's been going on here and has this like empathy. It feels like it's definitely Tilda being able to like play sort of like the three different sides of this where you have kind of like Joseph is the much more empathetic human side. Marcos is pure monster, vile, awful. And then even Blanc has this weird kind of middle ground where you can you can tell like she doesn't want necessarily to follow the same ways as Marcos, but is it more just a power grab and all this other stuff? I think like she kind of represents three different sides of like this older generation, as yeah, see. and I think yeah. she she does a really good job with that.
1: That's that's a brilliant take on it. I, I, I I'm glad you said it because like I didn't really fully connect that, but that makes hundred percent sense. One thing I say about Tilda in this like she's amazing. Like she nails all those roles in this movie. Pretty much every single film she chooses to do she does something interesting in it (laughs) i i just saw uh, eternal daughter and she plays two roles in that and i was blown away by it like one she's playing like a younger version of herself and the other uh, role she's playing like her mother her own mother so goddamn like she can do anything (laughs) i'm just gonna just praise till swinton right here and say like yeah like it's it's one of those performances uh, plural that just really captivates me. and I, it's it's one reason, one huge reason why I love this movie.
0: Yeah, though I think like what's so great is like this entire cast, I feel like you have such a like great group of actresses doing such a great job with like like I mentioned Dakota Johnson this year because along with last episode, we covered Bad Times of the El Royale which was like, I think came out like a month or so before this movie. Oh, and yeah. I think this was the year where I really felt like, oh, wow, she's like really popping for me. Because before this, she was in the Fifty Shades movies. And I just felt kind of felt like, oh, you're doing the best you can with this material, necessarily. <laughs> you're trying so hard and I appreciate it. Like in those two movies, I think she shows like so much range. especially Like I said, in this movie, you totally buy her as like an innocent. It was kind of like Joe Wyden out there, just like, oh, yeah, I love dancing. And then as things go along, you see, like, what the Blanc character that Tilda's playing kind of sees, like, these are weird, interesting turns I didn't necessarily expect. Like, even the way that she dances, which this movie has way more dancing than the original one does. Um, the way that she, like, dances almost, like, violently. And how that, like, obviously contrasts with, whether it be with, like, that scene that we were talking about where she's kind of voodoo-tethered to the Olga character. And she's brutally, like bunched up into a pretzel because of these movements or even later on when you have like the big group dance that's going on or even any of the practice stuff it feels so much like she has this like inner darkness to her that we're like okay maybe this sheepishness is like hiding something odd and bizarre and then by the time it eventually is revealed it's like oh i'm the reincarnation of the actual mother and i'm here to fuck you all up it's like oh no this makes perfect sense
1: yeah oh god dakota johnson so I'm with you. Like, I think this and El Royale, which I just remembered also played at that Fantastic Fest, El Royale. (laughs) Um, So I I, I had a Dakota Johnson, like, uh, double feature during that festival. Um, But, yeah, after this, after El Royale, I'm like, I'm on board with Johnson. I I did see the first 50 Shades movie. I I remembered her, like, in her little uh, roles in, like, Social Network and 21 21 Jump Street. Um, Right. But after this, I'm like, yes, I'm on board with anything you do. Um, Like most recently I saw her in Cha-Cha Real Smooth. That movie itself, whatever. But her performance in that, she's amazing in it. Oh, God, I I loved her in that movie. Um, So, yeah, so that transformation of like timid person uh, who, you know, very mysterious. Those flashbacks like to um, I'm assuming was like, you know, uh, an Amish community. You know, I'm still not exactly sure, you know, because it, it's supposed to be her family that we see, like her mother. It's at the very least, she's like in a very rural environment. Right, right, right. Um, those flashbacks connecting uh, Dakota to that uh, leaves it as, as it, like a mystery leading up to that reveal. And then when that reveal happens, you're like, oh, I'm on board. And she definitely delivers in that performance of this like now new leader of this dance troupe.
0: I think particularly my favorite moment of hers is the bit where she's talking to Blanc. Uh, I was just like I am, it felt like what I would imagine it would be, to fuck. Oh, like a man? <laughs> no, like an animal. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> Whoa, what what the fuck is going on here? That's interesting. Uh, but yet, like this, like I said, the whole cast is full of great. But like Mia Goth, who is Mia Goth! quickly become one of my favorite like actresses right now, even before X and Pearl. Like around the time of, like Cure for Wellness, I was just like this. She is very distinct. And interesting as a performer, just the way that now she looks, but also the way she just carries herself. She's so fascinating. I haven't seen Infinity Pool yet. Oh, my uh, God. But I've heard very interesting things about her in that. Uh, uh. But I think this was, especially around the time as well, where I'm just like, I, I want to see her do anything. Like, particularly when she becomes, like, possessed later on after she has that horrible leg break. And then she's dancing with, like, those weird, like, crystal colored eyes. I'm just like, she is, like, freaking me the fuck out. But keep doing it. You're doing a great job. <laughs>
1: Yeah, speaking of great years, like she did *Suspiria* this year, Mia Goth did, and *High Life*. Um, And yes. I and I distinctly remember *High Life* and being like, "What? First off, what the fuck's going on in this movie?" And second off, like, "God, she's amazing." I have vague memories of her in *In, in, in A Cure for Wellness*, but again, like Dakota Johnson after *Suspiria*, after her run in 2018, Mia Goth, I'm on board. It's like, I liked her in *Emma*. <laughs> she was like nice and cute in that, but then the *X* and *Pearl* movies blew me away. *Pearl*, in particular. And yeah, Infinity Pool, oh my god, Thomas, I can't wait for you to see Infinity Pool. I mean, it's another instance where I'm like, the movie itself? Eh, but I gave that movie an extra star on Letterboxd just because of Mia Goth and what she does in that movie. Well, look, we all know that she is a star! I know, she's a star! star. <laughs> but, I, I, I just say this about her performance in Infinity Pool, not to give anything away, but there are scenes towards the end where she's just going for it, and my packed theater, because I went opening night, they ate it up. It's like they, they, they knew what she was doing. They were on her wavelength. We all were. And we just ate that performance up. So, god damn. I, again, like Dakota Johnson, I'm with her till the end now. Like anything she's in, I'm seeing it.
0: It's even more impressive when, if you've ever seen her do, like, actual interviews where, yeah. like, there's that interview that was going around about, like, what she would do if she wasn't an actor, and she's talking like she's a fucking Dickensian orphan. Yeah. Like, I would have a chocolate factory. I'm like, oh, this is so unlike any of these weird, bizarre performances she's done. She's just, like, so interesting as an actress. But I think, like, I'm curious, though, what do you feel about why we're all here today? The dancing. How do you feel about the dancing in Suspiria in particular?
1: Uh, I think it does such a great job of connecting the dancing to the story, and I kind of I, I should have dug deeper into the the, the dance they do, the, the main dance that they're like training for, they're practicing for, and they they do towards the end of the movie. Because um, I, I I did hear uh, Swinton's character, Tilda's character, mentions like yes, like uh, this was written forty years ago like, after the war. So I'm like okay, yeah, that has that obviously has some connection to this. Uh, to, to to the uh, then of 1977. Again, playing into, like, who was in power back then, to who's in power 40 years ago, uh, uh, before 1977. It's like, yeah, like, everybody knows what was happening in Germany at that point. <laughs> so to do a dance sequence, like, to do a dance performance um, from that era in 1977, I think that says something. Um, but the dance itself, like, goddamn, like, I don't know whether or not they use like doubles, but if they did, maybe they did. Uh, I I was fooled because a lot of it I I did feel like was performed by the actresses. I I think Dakota Johnson at least felt like she was going for it uh, uh, in those shots where I see that it's her dancing. Uh, Same with like Mia Goth and with the other actresses too. I was talking about that horror sequence, uh, that murder sequence of like that woman being Olga, right? Being twisted into a pretzel uh, as Dakota Johnson is like, connected to her. Uh, with those witchy powers. Um, That is a a phenomenal sequence. Like, uh, Dakota Johnson's dancing, that performance uh, connected to that uh, straight-up murder, um, brilliant stuff. So, yeah, I think the dancing in this ties into the plot of the movie so well that, uh, I I mean, you mentioned it, uh, the original Suspiria had little dancing. I don't remember much of the dancing in that. But this movie, like, this is definitely, like, part dance movie like this this stuff def- and, and it does get into like the physicality of it all like the as they practice like those sequences where dakota johnson is like training to be the protagonist of, of this performance um that is that was like it's, it's like a peek behind the curtain of like these these dancers that you don't really see on screen it's like the the the, the jumping the you know the physical uh toll it takes on your body all of that. Uh, yeah, I, you know, coming into it, uh, maybe for the first time, I maybe I was also like, why is there so much dancing in this movie? <laughs> Which I'm like, you idiot, that's part of the story.
0: Even down to there's a great thing I didn't notice until this watch where, like, there's the point right before the Olga dance happens where um, Blanc is touching Dakota Johnson's hands. And you linger on her hands for a bit and there's a bit of that shimmer yeah. that, like, shows up later. And stuff like that where it's like, oh, it's almost as if, like, she's casting a spell, basically, to be able to, like, show, it's like, okay, can you prove yourself to be, like, this vessel for Marcos by being able to, like, do all these elaborate dance moves that at the same time are, like, violently, like, tethered and torturing this, like, other woman. And it feels kind of like you mentioned with, like, the whole, the strain that, like, dancing takes on people. Like I said, having, you know, my past with, like, my sisters, they would always come back from dance lessons, like, tired. And it feels kind of like it's a weird sort of metaphor for, like, Johnson is putting any of that physical toll on onto the Olga character where it's like yeah. all the pain and torture that happens from like, especially like a dance Academy like this, where it's even more arduous and strenuous on these poor women. And it just feels like it's another example of just like these cycles of power that we're referring to, where it's like, you're going to be a puppet for us to be able to get rid of somebody we don't like necessarily. You're going to be a tool for us so we can destroy uh, this poor person who didn't have any kind of like thing beyond like, Oh, i am gotten tired of what's going on here. Nope. We got to get her out of here cut her out of the program, yeah <laughs> in the most brutal way possible. and even the fact that Olga is like still alive after that oh, is God. like so fucked up and it's like that she's getting pierced with those giant fucking hooks as she's still like breathing and wheezing someone. even that's the case with like uh, after Mia Goth like collapses and she's being carried out like that panting that. That kind of like uh, bre- heavy breathing, where you're just like you can tell you're still in so much pain. No matter how many times you try and heal that up, it's gonna still fuck with you on just a physical level. Um, Yeah, it just shows uh, dancing's hard work it gets people fucked up, especially when they're in part of a
1: witch coven. <laughs> yeah, and and there's another sequence like I was mentioning the the, the jumping sequence where t- uh, uh, Tilda Swinton or Blanc is like, uh, "Come on, Susie, jump higher," and then <laughs> using her witchy powers. Uh, Blanc takes the jumping ability from one performer, gives it to Susie, and that performer, who whose power, whose jumping power is taken away, has like a seizure. Gets taken away. Yeah, it's like okay, yeah. Like again, uh, uh, digging into this theme of like people in power just like shifting their weight uh, and and uh, and giving it to you know somebody else and. Other people have to suffer for that, so God, yeah. Like it, even all those instances, like like we mentioned, like that uh, again, it plays into the physical toll of dancing. And like, hey, to be the best dancer, you gotta know which or two to to you know, to be perfect. So yeah.
0: Yeah, and what I love also is the fact that despite the movie having these, like, like upsetting political themes and, like, all of this horror that's going on, at the same time, it, it leaves a lot of room for, like, the intimacy. Like, I love the friendship that kind of grows between Dakota Johnson and Mia Goth in this movie. It feels like it's a much more sincere, sort of genuine connection than, like, in the original. It's very just kind of, like, flighty with those two characters here. I feel the actual friendship that builds between them. And even just a moment where, like, I was watching this in the theater and I was stunned. At, like, this, you know, the, the, a cameo that actually gave me, like, chills unlike like, you know, how often cameos are just used for, like, very, like, fan service bait. The use of Jessica Harper yeah, as the wife of the older man character Tilda Swinton plays, who comes back and is, like, this vision who he thought he had lost in the war, and, like, all of a sudden she's there, even though we know it's a trick. Like, it's very clear, like, this isn't going to end well for you, dude. Like, that's such a beautiful, intimate moment of them just, like, walking around. almost feels like they're reliving their younger days as they're going through, like, the snowy Berlin. It's so beautiful and tragic, and it's a great use of Harper, who, like, at this time, had mostly been off screens for, like, the last 20 years or so. Like, before this, she was in the Minority Report briefly. And then before that, oh, yeah. it was like Todd Haynes is safe in like the 90s. <laughs> so like she she was in very few movies in between here. And I love that she's also become like a weird Luca like company player because she, she shows up in Bones and all. And she's like, like, yeah, I love Harper ever since like you know fan of the paradise or um, the original Suspiria yeah. and stuff like that. I She fits perfectly in this role. And it feels like it's an actual good use of a cameo and actually giving an older actress like a chance to like do something really powerful and beautiful with for this small limited role that she has
1: absolutely yeah and it does feel like luca does appreciate the original regardless of what he does with like the material in his movie like i think that cameo is like a nod to like yes guys i i know i know (laughs) it's like here's one for the fans but really i'm gonna do my own thing
0: i mean even down to like the fact that this movie has very little use of like primary colors like the original did like the way this movie looks you feel immersed in like sort of like ashen Kind of like the fall of like post World War II Berlin and all the chaos that's there. It feels like it's gray, but not in a way that's like dull at the same time. It just feels like it's like muddy and you feel that like coarseness and that like kind of lack of light and color that's there. And then even the color that you do get is like Dakota Johnson being like, I'm back,
1: red tint, everyone's blowing (laughs) up. (laughs) Yeah, definitely lack of neon in this, which I think works thematically in the movie. Uh, But also, can we talk about. The score because oh, yeah. Tom York. My yeah. God. Okay. So I can't believe I've gone this far without bringing this up. But I love the score for this. I love the crazy shit Tom York does in this. So much so that uh after I'd seen it three times and was you pretty much did a you know 180 and like from hating it to like loving it. Um you know, part of the reason why it's stuck in my mind it you know was the score. And before seeing it for for a second time, I listened to the the soundtrack and go, huh, okay, yeah, I'll see this again. Then after loving it, I just played the soundtrack on repeat and even played it uh, (laughs) as I was going to bed. So the the Tom York Suspiria soundtrack lulled me to sleep for several nights. (laughs) Although I had to stop and kind of do like a a condensed uh, selection of the soundtrack because there's literally one... Track uh, in uh, on the Suspiria soundtrack by Tom York that's just like screaming <laughs> that woke me up several times <laughs> and I go what am I doing I'm just gonna take that out and just make my own playlist but yeah I love the score and and yeah and it's I, funny then
0: you tried it with the original Suspiria soundtrack from Goblin and you're just like I I'm having nightmares constantly <laughs> uh,
1: yeah I, I'll say it was a genius choice to have Tom York do the score again to sort of Not one up the original, but like have like the same sort of like uh, uh, just interesting uh choice, you know, uh, for a score, not being like super traditional. And yeah, I and I've heard criticism about how it's like it doesn't fit into the movie, it's like sort of in you know, I can't find the right word. Uh, People just maybe call it too silly to have Tom York kind of like do his Tom York stuff, uh, you know, in, in the middle of all this. But I don't know. I dig it. I I, I dig those tracks, and it goes. It, I think it plays into what Luca does in a lot of his movies, where he mixes the soundtrack with what's going on on screen and how well it plays. Because um, I think he does so exceptional with like these like unique um, uh, uh, musical artists, like pulling up a Tom York, uh, uh, pulling up a you know Resna Ross for Bones and all, uh, pulling up a Sufjan Stevens for um, uh, uh, Call Me By Your Name. And I, I dig what he does overall, Luca. It, and, and this proves that he just understands, like, hey, I want a certain vibe for this movie. I gotta, you know, go for the gut here. I, I gotta go with somebody who can bring their own unique musical style to this.
0: Well, yeah, I, I completely disagree with, like, the idea that it doesn't work with this movie. I think it, it's a sort of interesting parallel to, like, the Goblin score from the original, which I love, but that's, like, so much more like, upsetting and, like, has this, like, creepy, ethereal feel to it that's, like, deeply unsettling as you listen to, you know, it while you're watching all these weird images that are coming on screen. As opposed to here, the, the Tom York score, I think, just adds this, like, additional layer of, like, melancholy that fits perfectly for this movie. And, like, even the choral stuff, it feels like it's definitely, like, Luca being like, okay, I don't want to just repeat the Goblin score for my movie that wouldn't fit here, as opposed to, like, this kind of, like, beautiful breathy vocal uh, vocalizations from Tom York I think fit beautifully with like this movie it feels like it's in a similar kind of disparate sad state that, like, the images feel like and the, a lot of the performances feel like. It just all fits in a piece where it's just, like, is so, like, sad and drained of life. And then when it does come to life, it's uh, through horrific, awful life yeah. that you're just like, oh, it's like a zombie came back. Oh, yeah. no, what's happening here? And I think that works perfectly. Good. But you know what, uh, Marcella, we've talked a lot about the sphere. We have a whole other movie to talk about. <laughs> I know. So let's, uh, any final thoughts you can muster up uh, quickly about sphere Yeah, see,
1: this is what happens when uh, I, you know... I come on a podcast and end up talking about one of my favorite movies of like the last 10 years. (laughs) Cause this, (laughs) that's what this is. I I, I thought about this uh, as I was watching it today. It's like, yeah. And I did mention this earlier. It's, it's a movie that I think perfectly captures the moment we're in now. um, Even though it's set like in 1977, you know, Germany. And I think about that a lot. And if I were to rank, uh, you know, the best movies of, of the 2010s now, it's like this would rank pretty high up because um, not only do the politics like still hold up not only does that still affect me but the movie itself oh god like yeah like like everything we just said performances um you know the the production design the sound everything god i love it it's about the vibes and this very much is my vibe so yeah this, i i love Sisperia 2018
0: yeah, I mean, I completely uh, pretty much agree with all that. I think it's, like I said, I liked it when I first saw it, but I definitely was just like, I think I'll need to watch it a second time, and I just haven't until now for this particular episode. And yeah, I think it's uh, one of the better, more interesting horror remakes out there for sure, where Luca Guadagnino t- clearly like loves the original movie, but at the same time does not want to remake it in terms of just like, I want to recreate shots from it. I want to take, he was like, I want to take a lot of like the vibes of almost what I felt while I was watching that movie and kind of put them into like my own story and he said as much as it's kind of like the approach he took I think that's a genius take on what to do especially with such a like beloved classic uh, original movie is to kind of take like a lot of what you felt about it and like translate into a completely different story that still is like paying homage in certain ways to the original and I think it's like such a great example of how to do that with like the score and the performances and everything it feels definitely like one of the the more fascinating examples of that, and also just as a dance movie uh, the dancing is like very like uh, well choreographed but also violent and feels very appropriate for the movie that it's uh, in the middle of for sure but let's talk about another uh, dancerific movie here (laughs) with uh, breaking two Electric Boogaloo. Party people, in the place to be. This is what you've all been waiting to see. Electric Boogaloo, the ultimate show. We Kelly, Ozone, and Turbo. Electric Boogaloo is breakdance too. Yes, Ooh. Electric Boogaloo's action dance, the best you'll get. If you like breakdance, when you ain't seen nothing yet. You lost your edge. Fine. Electric Boogaloo's the greatest, nothing can compete And what you've seen this movie, you'll believe in the beast
1: Another good one from
0: so Breakin to Electric Boogaloo came out December 19, 1984, which is crucial because this is a sequel to the original Breakin, which came out May 4th, 1984. <laughs> so <laughs> the very quick turnaround of seven months between the original being a pretty sizable hit, uh, and this sequel coming out. And uh, this is uh, obviously like this is an eighties canon film. We love canon over here, I'm not sure, Marcella. You love the the Canon filmography. All the silliness that comes out of that with like your, you know, your missing in actions and
1: uh, break-ins as well. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Quickly, I'll say I I saw some uh, canon films for the first time recently because I went to my theater's uh, Albert Pune retrospective uh, in January. Mm -hmm. And he's done a lot of great canon films. I'm totally on board with canon.
0: Yes. And uh, this was unlike sort of the big action or horror things even that they were doing around this time. Uh, This is uh, part of the breakdancing craze. Uh, that was very popular at this point. Uh and uh, this is obviously as I mentioned a sequel to Breakin. Do you have any familiarity with the original Breakin at all? Were you lost at all the continuity like, clearly
1: <laughs> transplanted from here no. to <laughs> Where to begin? I I I had a little journey before watching this movie. Because I'm like, have I seen this before? So I I went back to my letterboxed because several years ago, um, my my local theater that has this uh, recurring weekly Weird Wednesday retrospective where every Wednesday they play a weird movie, right? I'm like, did I see Breaking or Breaking 2 at this Weird Wednesday like seven years ago? Turns out I haven't. What I did see was Rappin', the third entry yes. <laughs> in this series. <laughs> and i can to tell you this, I have no memory of Rappin'. <laughs> so I, I pretty much came into Breaking 2 free and clear of any continuity any canon um but yeah i i guess we should get into it now because like i i saw breaking two electric boogaloo for the first time not expecting much have only heard the like, guest the 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 title has been made fun of for decades electric boogaloo um here and there i've heard people say it's actually a good movie i'm gonna shout out uh, jacob de Uh, co-host of Monsters Never Die on Talk Film Society. I had him on my podcast a few years ago. Uh, I did a series of, um, hey, tell me your top 25 movies of all time. And he had Breaking 2, Electric Boogaloo, on his list. And I was kind of shocked. I'm like, wow, Jacob, this is an interesting choice. And he's like, yeah, yeah. So he went into why he loved it. I go, okay, you've you've convinced me. I'm going to see this one day with an open mind. And that day came this past uh, Saturday. And let me tell you, I had a good time. <laughs> it's not the best movie in the world. I have several questions about the plot, uh, giant gaping holes in it. <laughs> but overall, it's just a silly, fun dance movie. That its main theme is let's destroy gentrification by any means necessary. But
0: mainly through dance. <laughs> through that dance. The biggest. Like, not by <laughs> any means <laughs>
1: necessary, but the main weapon against <laughs> like, gentrification is dance. <laughs> is dance. <laughs> by any means necessary to them is dance. I don't know where to even start, really, on why I like it so much. I think it's just because it just has that energy of, like, we're we're just young kids here to dance. That's what the movie is. It's like, let's just, you know, connect these scenes that are they barely even connect together there's barely even a plot to this it's just like yes there's a you know big company trying to steamroll this uh this like youth center uh where they do all sorts of things in there including dancing mostly <laughs> i think there's like boxing in in, in that youth center too um, right but that's
0: a secondary thing the, majors, <laughs> the major thing major the center is dance
1: is the dancing right um but yeah and and like they're like oh we gotta raise money i'm not even sure why to well to... the the
0: money is basically to like be able because there's a whole thing where it's like oh this place isn't up to code it hasn't been updated yeah. in several decades so we have to raise two hundred thousand dollars in order to upgrade it but also we have to worry about uh this developer that's coming to try and destroy the place and you know, they're gonna take advantage of that which is a weird thing where like that plot point about like the developer gets solved before the climax so it's yeah. like, oh, that's not even a factor anymore <laughs> it doesn't matter <laughs> But we still have to save the rec center from, like, I guess some other person demolishing it by, like, improving it or whatever. I don't know. It's it's the, the plot necessarily isn't the main driving force necessarily for this movie. Hate to spoil that for everybody. but
1: Yeah, the plot itself gets, you know, muddled. It, it gets ahead of itself and kind of, like, uh, makes itself, like, irrelevant by the last 10 minutes. So because it's all about the dancing. I th- and and like that's why I'm on board. I mean, we have a sequence in this movie is a clear reference to like singing in the rain, uh, or a a a pre, hit hat tip to Christopher Nolan's Inception, <laughs> where I'm sure uh, Nolan sat down and watched Breaking Two opening weekend. He goes, huh? I'm gonna steal this for for a movie I'm gonna do several you know years in the future.
0: Well, well, well b- before you keep going, I wanted to at least say my history. Fine, okay,
1: because I hey, there's so much to talk about. Thomas, we'll take it, it away. Sure.
0: <laughs> yes, uh, but I wanted to say, um I had not seen uh Breakin or Breakin Two until this past week or so. Um I watched the original Breakin, which is uh, one very like not nearly as available as Breakin Two is. Um support your local libraries, kids. Um, but the original break-in uh, feels like it's very much kind of like a slapdash thing to try and take advantage of like this particular time with, like, the, you know, the fad of the breakdancing thing. And it's a very simple story, just about, like, the Lucinda Dickey character uh, shout-out was in this these two movies, and also uh, a previous subject of the show, Ninja 3 The Domination, another great canon film, um, all in 1984. Um, uh, the, the queen of canon, as far as I'm concerned, Lucinda Dickey. Um, but in the original break-in, she's just a rich girl who is studying, like, ballet, and then she uh, meets up with uh, our two buddies here, Turbo and Ozone, uh, played by... Um, uh, Ozone is uh, Shabadoo uh, is the actor, his stage name, um, and Turbo is a boogaloo shrimp. Um, and uh, they, he, they, she meets up with those two and she becomes sort of like introduced to the idea of breakdancing and how like, oh, this feels like a legitimate sort of form of dance that people aren't appreciating because they're street toughs. Uh, but she tries to, like, sort of legitimize it, and they all audition for this play with their breakdancing, and all the stuffy, like, sort of, uh, shirts are just like, oh, this is actually great, we're gonna put you on Broadway! And they go on Broadway, and then at the opening of this movie, she's still on Broadway, and they're on, like, the fucking streets still, they didn't want to, like, keep going with that career, I guess, fine. But, um, yeah, so I like the original break-in, it's just, like, it's a very solid little movie for what it's trying to do, basically. Uh, and then break-in two, um is like a fascinating fever dream of a movie where like when you watch a dance movie, there tend to be like dance sequences. Like there'll be breaks and stuff in between dance sequences. Uh, Every dance sequence kind of bleeds into the other one. There's never really a point where they like stop dancing necessarily. (laughs) It's like there are very few moments of plot and it's mostly just kind of like, all right, we're going to do our big dance number, and then maybe, like, a minute where we talk to each other, and then another big dance number, and then another one, <laughs> and another one. And I found that very infectiously charming for what it was. I agree with you that this I picked this as a bad pick just out of, like, blind curiosity. It's like, everyone makes fun of the title and all this other stuff, but it's a very, like, earnest, optimistic, silly, dumb movie that I was totally on board for every single weird, silly decision it makes where... I'll just say it, uh, this movie purports not only can dancing stop gentrification, but it can heal the sick, it can <laughs> you fall in love instantly with others, and even, like, the opening of this movie, where after everyone's accepted breakdancing here, like, it's a utopian society where we don't actually fight each other, so there's no violence, everyone just breakdances. Like, there's the point where, like, Kelly comes back, uh, the, the um, special K as her character's nickname is, Uh, listening to Dickie's character, comes back to the neighborhood and everyone's like, yeah, Kelly, what's up? Yeah, I'm so glad you're here. Let's dance down the street. Everyone's breakdancing. (laughs) Even the mailman's breakdancing and the telephone pole guy, an old lady. They're all breakdancing together. It's like, this is utopia. This is beautiful. Why are we all breakdancing? Yeah, exactly.
1: I want to live in this world where all of a sudden I can dance on the ceiling, okay? Where I'm in a hospital, I feel bad, (laughs) But then everybody in the hospital starts dancing for no reason.
0: And then you're cured of your ailment. You start boogalooging. Oh, shit.
1: <laughs> oh, God. I it's... don't
0: have cancer anymore, everybody. I'm free. <laughs>
1: it's like, isn't there literally a scene where somebody is in a wheelchair, everybody's dancing around him, and then he just gets up, throws down. like, his, like uh, And he's like, oh, I can walk again. It's incredible. <laughs> this movie is incredible because yeah, it's, it's such a fantasy Of, like, this world where it's just nothing but dance, where dancing can save the world. And it literally does save, like, these kids' lives. Like, because, like, this community center that is, for some reason, like, everybody wants to shut down because, like, they want to build a mall. And uh, it's just so forward thinking and, like, yeah, we need to help the youth here. It's like, in order to help the youth, we have to have them dancing. That's what's going to give us all a better life. World peace can be achieved through dancing. That's the main message here. That's why I'm like, this movie? I'm with Roger Ebert. Because Roger Ebert gave this movie three out of four stars. You know, god he he was so smart. Roger Ebert. So I, I think he was ahead of the curve here. Uh, because I, I I don't know why this movie became such a joke. I think it's my main point. I don't know why. Maybe just maybe just because it bombed, right? And maybe the title was silly. Well,
0: it didn't do too bad. I mean, like, it's a classic canon thing of it cost $3 million, made $15 million. But I think it's just a problem of, like, it, it because of, like, what it transparently is for canon, which is, like kids are breakdancing Golden Globus are just like the kids breakdance we gotta make two movies especially where this one once again came out seven months (laughs) after the first one did it's just like oh this is a cash grab and it's like a silly name we can kind of ignore it but I think time has been very kind I agree to this movie because as like silly and bright and dumb as it is I think it still has, like we mentioned, like these very positive sort of messages about just like, hey, let's actually like give back to the community so we can like have kids like, you know, have some kind of positivity in their lives. And uh, that is done through breakdancing and especially where you have like not just like our two, but Turbo and Ozone who are like very fun together but also just weird side characters like that motherfucking mime dude (laughs) who's just there (laughs) he just like breakdances with everybody doesn't say a word just like fuck yeah mime dude like i get the same joy i get out of um something else i'll talk about a bit more in the show later put a pin in it but uh, the step up movies where those movies are very Uh silly and also trying to get in on a trend uh with sort of like the specific kind of dancing of that time and like the Late 2000s, early 2010s, but they're all very sincere and joyful and about just like, let's build a community by dancing. So it's like, it's silly, but it's like, it's very sweet and sincere.
1: I find it a hard movie to talk about because really, we've covered it, I think. It's a movie where people dance and have fun. The end. Go watch (laughs) it. There are sequences that, again, like the hospital sequence. Right, which we should,
0: I want to set up a bit for anybody out there who hasn't seen this movie that, like, there's a certain point. Where uh the turbo character gets chased down by like a couple oh god uh, okay dudes right and like as he's being chased down he like tries to diverge away from them and then he falls down a huge flight of stairs that scene so they all go to the hospital <laughs> and she's comatose he's com- he's like comatose and like everyone's like oh god can he get up and his love interest who he's been trying to romance this whole time kisses him on the lips and immediately he starts break dancing back from consciousness <laughs> and everyone but, joins in and the entire hospital dances with him. Like nurses come out and dance along. There's a guy who's dying on the surgery table, The doctors start dancing. <laughs> and then that guy comes to life and starts dancing with everybody else. <laughs>
1: by, by, by the way. Okay. All of that is insane in a good way. I will say one little moment that kind of just threw me for a loop. Very small is like before all that happens, We're in this hospital room. Like his his friends are around him, worried, and his love interest just walks out of a closet for no reason. It's like what? (laughs) (laughs) I I don't. It's like uh, what again? What world are they living in? Where where the main language to them is dance, and also like a person can just transport uh, through like space. Just by going through a closet door I, uh, I I don't know it's it's a choice, but it's a choice I love because what other movie will make that choice of like okay, the director just is thinking out loud it's like I don't want her to just walk through the hospital door. Let's just have her be in the closet and just come out. No reason for it. nobody will address it. just do it. It's this
0: weird magical realism that's, like, once again, really infectious. It feels like it's very much like a long music video. It just, like, yeah. leads from one sort of music video-y sequence to the, the next. Where just, and even the fact that, like, the, this magical sort of dance stuff is, like, actually taking place within the world. Like, there's the bit we've, we kind of referenced, kind of like the famous centerpiece of this movie. Where uh, we have the Turbo character does a uh, breakdance in a rotating room. And he goes like onto the ceiling and stuff like that. Um, It's this like great moment that initially you think like, oh, this is like a, you know, a film representation of his, him like falling for this girl. And it's like, nope, she walks in and sees him dancing on the ceiling, (laughs) which I just love. Also, there's that shot where like, it's still rotating, like in the way, like, I believe this was the same rotating room from Nightmare on Elm Street. Ah, Which is just like Rap production and stuff So they like Borrowed that particular thing And I just love That like there's a shot Of him Still dancing on the ceiling And she's on the ground Yeah And it looks very clear Like that poor actress Is like harnessed in To this (laughs) rotating room (laughs) And is not comfortable With this But she's just like Oh wow He's dancing And it's just like Am I gonna fucking die All the blood's (laughs) rushing To my
1: She's a trooper Because That that scene God I think it works Very well because uh, every performer in this movie, they're committed. They can dance. like they, they. I was speaking earlier about how the act of dancing, in my opinion, sometimes people just gloss over it. But, God, like, I'll, I'll credit to the, the, the dancers slash actors in this. I mean, they may be the best dancers, may not be the best actors, but really, who cares? Like They're great dancers. And in the sequence where he's dancing on the ceiling, like it's just another... Uh, a great, you know, performance from from this actor, and I'm with you. Like her coming in and just being part of that sequence, and again, she doesn't go, "Why are you dancing on the ceiling?" She's just watch, she just watches it, watches the performance, and like falls in love with the guy. And we're just like, "All right, th- this is it." Again, like you were saying, Thomas, this is basically of like a feature length music video where there are no rules. It's it's its own little world, but I'm into it. I dig it. It's like I, moments like that. I'm like, you know what? I don't need anybody to address this. I'm glad it's not like very winky, like uh, a, a wink to the camera. I don't think it really does that. Uh, and I appreciate that. It's just very much committed to the bit of like, yes, we're in a strange world where uh, dance is the one and only thing we do, and we can like <laughs> break the rules of, of a normal, uh, you know, physical world. <laughs>
0: Right, and uh, what I like also is the fact that I agree with you, like, not necessarily they're all great actors, but they're all very, like, whatever they have lack in, like, actual acting ability, there's a lot of charm to them. Yeah. I think particularly Ozone and Turbo are, like, they were charming, I think, in the, the first movie. And in the second movie, there's a lot more of that, where, especially, like, Turbo, uh, like, the Michael Chambers boogaloo shrimp, um, was, like, 17 in these movies. And wow. he looks young. He looks like a 13-year-old. Like, yeah. I'm just like, kid, you should be in school. Why are you out here on the street dancing? Uh, but he's like, the, him and Ozan are, like, so charming together. They have that sort of, like, younger brother, older brother chemistry that really works. Especially in, like, a scene I was not prepared for where Turbo's talking to Ozan about, like, hey, how do I impress a girl? It's like, oh, you gotta, like, come up to her and then you start pulling the moves. And then he dances with, like, this weird doll. Who's made to kinda look like Kelly. They start dancing. Ozone and Turbo like take turns dancing with the doll, and occasionally they'll cut in between like, you know, Ozone is dancing with the doll and all of a sudden he's dancing with Kelly. Or then all of a sudden he's dancing with the love interest for <laughs> Turbo. Yeah. And then Turbo's like, hey man, let me dance too. And then like they both get like really hung up on dancing with the doll, and then they like fight over it, and then they break the doll, and they're like, ah oh, fuck let's dance with each other. Yeah. It's like it's a weird it's such a weird sequence, but like it's super charming because those two are like having fun together doing yeah. this dumb bit.
1: Okay, yeah, I'm glad you brought this up. I, I, I apologize to the listeners because I almost forgot about this scene. It's I dare say brilliant. But also, I am in agreement. It's very weird, because <laughs> I think I think the the, the the idea of it, the concept of it, I think is genius. I'm saying that right now. This that sequence is genius in concept. The execution, I'm not 100% sure about, but I I love that they just are committed to it. That they're, they're just like yes, that idea of like dancing with this doll that turns into the two, you know, distinct love interests for these two dudes. The editing in that is is like oh it's so good like as it edits between uh you know two real people and a doll, and then yeah that choice of the doll blowing up and them dancing together, I yeah, sure again, another moment where it feels like yes, this whole movie does feel like a journal of like a music video director who who like, oh I have this idea for a music video, and he's just like, you know what? I'm gonna do this movie instead and put all these ideas on screen. And that sequence does very much feel like that. And um, again another sequence where I'm like, I don't care about the real world here. I care about this fantasy. And that's another aspect of it. it's like this. It's it's such a nice little fantasy that they're living into of like this love story. At one point, it's like a, a love triangle. Like I I realize uh, uh oh, it's, that's another aspect. Like Kelly has a fiance. Which is weird. That doesn't come up until like the third act. It's a
0: weird thing where, like, I guess, like the mom tries to introduce him as the fiancé. Yeah. But she's like, I don't like that dude, he's a creep, so it's, I think it's more she's trying to say, like, oh no, she's off limits to you riffraff, okay, yeah. because yeah. they're going to, like, the dinner, which I, I love that scene, too, where Ozone yeah. and Turbo, or it's just, like, <laughs> Turbo has, like, his mouth full of, like, the food and stuff like that. Very funny, like, comedic scene there, but yeah, it's a weird thing where, like, in the original, two, like, her, uh, Kelly and Ozone have some kind of flirtation. And it doesn't feel like, okay, maybe they're going to be, like, friends by the end of this. Then when she comes back to Ozone, they have, like, a makeout session, briefly. But yeah. then it feels like they aren't actually a couple after that. It's so weird what they're trying to imply about, like, their relationship. Especially when that other woman comes in just like, you stay away from Ozone. You're oh, not yeah. allowed around here. <laughs> but I I think also a to so like, Lucinda Dickey, I think, fits in perfectly. Yeah. everybody we're like she's dancing along with everybody making it work especially for sequences like another great one that i kind of referenced earlier the under the bridge dance fight is so good oh yeah we're like this competing like group like this like this guy who like keeps like who's uh sort of like the rival for ozone keeps coming up to him just like oh you're gonna step up to me what are you gonna do punk yeah what what and then they have like a dance fight where like they're like Dancing aggressively at each other, and there's a point where, like, listen to Dickie Noso and everybody pull up trash can lids and like, <laughs> shield themselves from the dancing.
1: <laughs> it's so fun. It is fun, and it's clear that they're doing like a West Side Story uh, yeah. uh, hat tip. But God, it's just executed so. In their own way, in such a yeah straight '80s dance movie sort of way, where I think there's no other way to do it <laughs> than this, and pull it off and have it be in a movie called Break Into, <laughs> and like yes, this electric, absolute, yeah, electric boogaloo. Sir, you can't can forget that subtitle. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, folks listening to this podcast right now who haven't seen this, I mean, for God's sakes, if we haven't sold you already, because uh, it's it's just scene after scene like that in this movie. I don't think there's a scene in this movie. That doesn't have something going on, which I think is its greatest strength. Like, good or bad, something is going on that will interest you. I I was watching this uh, at my parents' place, and I had distractions around me. But, you know, as I was, like, you know, talking to, like, my mom on the side, I went back to the movie. I go, I'm going to rewind this. I need to focus up. (laughs) I need to pay attention to every single detail that's happening in this movie. Because there's so much going on in every single scene. Uh, again, if if that doesn't sell you, like I I'm glad this movie isn't boring at all. Really, I can't think of like a no. a dull moment because again, there's something always going on, which I do appreciate.
0: Yeah, even when it's not like actual any dancing, just certain plot developments are so funny to me. Like the whole thing with Kelly's parents, where like initially they're just like, oh, I don't like what she's doing that dance and stuff. It's gonna completely screw over her future. And then by the end, like they're watching them do like the the finale on TV, and they're like, you know what? Those kids stand for something. I appreciate it. Here's yeah. the check. They'll get you the last thing over so you guys can, like, save the rec center.
1: <laughs> Which is like, okay, it's it's a moment that I think is so, like, of course it's going to happen. Like, in any movie like this, of course, you, you think, like, yeah, the, the parents are in the end going to go, you know what? You're right, kid. Here you go. But the way it plays out, I was, like, fully invested. I'm like, oh, my God, are they going to do it? Are they going to pull this off? Is is the dad going to give them a check at the end? He does. Yes. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> I was literally. Look, I mean, <laughs> I had to. The, they had so much choreography. <laughs> and They changed outfits so much. Uh, Turbo was in traction, and he just got
1: see, here. See, dancing changes the world. Like dancing can change anybody's opinion. It changed that dad's opinion. So, oh god, and it changed my opinion. Hey, I I apologize for prejudging Breaking to Electrical Boogaloo for so long. Without seeing the movie. And now seeing the movie, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to sing its praises. Like, any time somebody says this is not a good movie, I go, hey, come on, okay? I've seen worse, much worse movies. At least, the, again, there's something going on in this that is... You're going to challenge them to a
0: dance fight if they yeah,
1: say ex- that. Yeah, 100%. A 100% bedroom. Thomas. <laughs> 100%. Get out your trash can, lid, motherfucker. It's on. I'm, I'm calling anybody out. If anybody wants to challenge me on this, I will I will, I will dance uh off with them okay i will i will dance off to the best of them so yeah that's my challenge here on this podcast <laughs> a call to action call to action <laughs> um
0: yeah i mean the only other thing i wanted to spotlight is sort of the weird connecting thread of all three of these movies where apparently he's also in rapping but oh yeah young ice t yeah showing up in rapping which is pretty fucking great <laughs> Where he just shows up and he's just like, everybody's going to be all right. And then it's <laughs> just like very <laughs> classic, like very early rap. But he's like really embracing it very charmingly. um, Yeah. And it's just, I don't know. Is there any other thing we haven't pointed out about this, Marcelo you want to shout out? Some other <sighs> detail.
1: I mean, I'm sure. Uh, uh, okay. It's not necessarily something. Um, it, it, it just stuck in my mind that it's just, an, again, an odd choice that i'm like huh and i'm like okay fine and this is very small i don't know i don't even know why i'm bringing it up but like there's a scene where kelly and i think ozone are just eating pizza and he has a shirt off as they eat pizza just on the ground <laughs> and i'm like okay they're still in the courting phase of their relationship and like, and like he's like you know what i'm not gonna put a shirt on to eat pizza screw that let's just sit on the floor and eat pizza too even though once again i don't know if by the end of this movie they're actually a
0: couple it's just yeah a weird thing with like their relationship We're just like we're friends but you'll, we'll eat pizza shirtless together, I guess. I don't know.
1: Uh, and uh, as we wrap up, I do, again, going back to Roger Ebert's review of this, uh, three stars out of four. I want to read this, and th- and, th- and this can be just my closing thought on it. I'm going to read the last paragraph of his review, okay? Electric Boogaloo is not a great movie, but is inexhaustible, entertaining, and may turn out to be influential. It could inspire a boomlets of low-priced movie musicals movies not saddled with multi-million dollar budgets broadway connections and stars who are not necessarily able to sing and dance and at a time when movie musicals as opposed to movie soundtracks are seriously out of touch with the music that is really being played and listened to by teenagers that could be a revolutionary development so imagine that imagine if like uh, the trend continued. Because I know it kind of fizzled out after this, right, Thomas? Like, the, the, the whole era of breakdancing movies. But, man, if it continued on through, like, the 80s, the 90s, yeah. I mean, it, it did kind of, like, come back in the early 2000s, which I think we'll talk about later. But, God. I mean, this movie, it's it's of its time, but that's not a bad thing. Uh, I, I think it captures that moment really well. And you can see it as, as a time capsule, but I I can see it as, like, a movie that I wish... <laughs> people nowadays would gravitate towards and say we should move we should make movies as insane as this (laughs) as uh daring i i should say as this so yeah that's my thoughts overall on seeing break into electric boogaloo for the first time
0: yeah i mean i'm i was in a similar boat where i did prejudge this movie just kind of like oh it's like a silly breakdancing movie i'm sure that'll be fun for our dance movies episode to kind of like make fun of and point at and you can make fun of it. It's very silly and very over-the-top and weird, but in a way that's, like we said, like very charming and, more importantly so sincere I think that's the thing that like really like made me like go along with it. like I love a big sincere silly musical kind of thing like this where like we mentioned where everybody's in like every extra has some kind of like big dance moment and you're like you know what you go mailman who did like a fucking cartwheel <laughs> over there to like everybody else like it's, it's like I said it's this very it's this fantasy kind of idea where it's just like breakdancing can like unite everybody and if everyone were just to like you know dance around and have fun together we wouldn't be as divided as we are and I think that's why it's, it's kind of bummer like i haven't mentioned this yet because um admittingly i don't know how much air i should give this but the fact that the electric boogaloo not only has become like the sort of like sequel subtitle joke where everyone makes like blank two electric boogaloo but that weirdly evolved into like some dumb far-right assholes taking oh, yeah. Electric boogaloo yeah. as like a thing that disappoints me so much after seeing this because like this movie is like so against any of that kind of like bullshit that's, like, from dumb far-right groups. Because, like, this is, like, everybody can be in a utopia if we just fucking dance together. it's like, you know what? That's the future I want. That's what I want for the Children of Tomorrow. Yeah. Everybody dances and nobody judges each other for bullshit reasons.
1: Yeah. We we have to take this back. We have to take this title back. We gotta take
0: Electric Boogaloo back, (laughs) yes. Electric Boogaloo belongs to all people. Not assholes who fucking co-opted, like, pieces of shit. (laughs) Fuck those guys. But... Now, Marcello, we gotta move on to the weekly segment, the double redo. Double redo, double redo, double redo, double redo, double redo, double 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 double,
1: double
0: Redoe. Redoe.
1: Redoe. Redoe.
0: redo. That works. So the double redo is a segment that uh, we usually like doing on this show every week, where in uh, we, you know. In collaboration with uh, the topic, uh, you know where we have our good and our bad pick that we cover for most of the show. We also have uh, some recommendations for you know a good movie related to the topic we would recommend to everybody, and then a bad one we would steer you clear of. Um, I'm going to be going first here with uh, my good pick for dance movies is uh, one of I mentioned this franchise earlier and I feel like it's one of the great sort of like uh, descendants of Break into Electric Boogaloo Um, it is one of the Step Up films but specifically Step Up 3D now these were movies I also was like kind of vaguely aware of. I'd seen like the original Step Up with Channing Tatum speaking of Magic Mike and Step Up 2 he has a cameo in I'd seen those two when I was younger and I wasn't fans of them And even watching them uh, fairly recently, I watched, I remember, like, the first three right before uh, John M. Chu's uh, recent directorial effort, In the Heights, came out. Because he directed two and the third film in the franchise. Um, I was kind of, like, you know, cynical of those back in the day. But now, especially watching two and then three, I was just fully on board with, like, what we were kind of mentioning about Breaking 2, where, like, these are very sincere, sweet, dumb movies that kind of just, like, are barely put together by scotch tape so the dance sequences can happen. And in the case of Step Up 3D, uh, which is, it was originally released in 3D, um, it goes fully into bizarre, fascinating territory where, like, there's underground, like, dance battles that go on. Uh, We mainly follow this Moose character who uh, was in the second movie as a supporting character, but is now kind of the lead as he's moved on to college and is trying to, like, balance out his engineering studies with his dancing hobby and he's like trying to decide which avenue he's going to go down necessarily. And in the case of step up 3d, he literally winds up with like a weird professor Xavier type guy who's recruiting dancers for his crew. And he has a whole layer that has like boom boxes all around. And there are all these different dancers that have specific abilities. Like there's a twins who like dance and do like synchronized dancing with each other. There's a guy who was literally like a robot. Like he dances the robot But also, he doesn't talk, and he doesn't have any kind of, like, real human attributes. He just moves around like a robot, even when he's not dancing. It's so bizarre. But it's, like like I said, it's all very charming. The dance sequences are so well shot. John M. Chu, I think, is one of the underrated sort of directors, especially, of, like, big sort of dance and musical elements. I think he's phenomenal at And in this movie, just dance battle after dance battle happens, and they're all, like, so well choreographed. And it's a movie that, like, I didn't see in 3D as originally intended. I would love to see it in 3D. I hope Avatar The Way of Water, uh, you know, its big success allows for 3D re-releases of some of these (laughs) movies I didn't get to see in theaters theatrically in 3D. Particularly this one, I think, would be such a blast to watch. There's, like, a whole water sequence, speaking of Way of Water, where, like, everybody... Like, starts doing, like, popping and locking routines while, like, the place kind of flooding, basically. <laughs> it's so good. It's so charming and it's so silly, but in a way that, like, I fully embrace and love. Um And then my bad pick is a movie that was a sequel to a much uh, beloved dancing movie of the 70s, where you had Saturday Night Fever starring John Travolta, and several years later, they made a sequel called Staying Alive, uh, which if you don't know, follows uh, John Travolta's character as he's moved on from being, like, you know, a street tough um, who's out there dancing at disco clubs into dancing on Broadway, and uh, it's uh, interesting for many reasons. One, this is the directorial debut of Sylvester Stallone, and huh. um, And it's a very weird thing where, like, he's trying to make it on Broadway, but it's a lot of stuff where he's, like, trying to romance a woman, but also he's too deep into his dancing, which all the music, also speaking of Stallone, is done by Frank Stallone. Um, And it's all, like, very silly machismo songs that are in there. Um, I kind of think it borders on good-bad kind of thing with this movie at certain points, but I think it's just it's too long and there are much more boring stretches in between uh, to make it, like I would say, of, like, a good, fun-bad watch necessarily, but it's so bizarre as a weird cultural object that I'm kind of like fascinated by it for all the reasons I've been talking about. Staying Alive is not quite a Saturday Night Fever for sure. Uh, that one uh, obviously has a lot more, of a particularly better use of its dancing abilities of uh, its performers versus uh, Staying Alive is a bit more of like a weird, bizarre myth that doesn't need to exist at all. But it does have, I think, this is, I don't know, I can't remember if this is the very end of the movie or not, but it's this bit where like he finally woos the girl. She's like, So what are you going to do now that you've won the part and won the girl? And he just is like, strut. And then he struts down the street to
1: Staying Alive.
0: <laughs> oh no. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so silly, um, oh, but boy. uh, not quite in the fun, silly, I would argue, that step up 3D is.
1: Well, I haven't seen either movie. Um, I've been interested to see Staying Alive because I, I kept hearing it's like maybe an interesting, interesting bad movie, but I don't know. I, I definitely need to see the step up movies. I haven't seen any of the step up movies, tremendous mm-hmm. blind spot for me. So, I I need, I need to dig into those, for I, sure.
0: I would definitely recommend, especially as uh, 4 is Step Up Revolution is literally about, like, a group of dancers who do flash mobs in order to, like, disrupt the police. Okay, I'm and in.
1: It's, Say no more.
0: <laughs> and then 5 is literally, like, it's like, it's like Fast 5 where, like, everybody comes back. Oh. Like, except for Ta- Channing doesn't come back, but, like, oh. Brianna Evigan from the second movie and, like, all the other protagonists, like, come back for, like, one big dance reality show battle thing. <laughs> it's so fucking silly.
1: I, I need to watch all of these. I do.
0: <laughs> but, um, Marcelo, what about your picks? For yes. The
1: two? Let me do the bad one first. Get that one out of the way. Uh, The Bad Dance movie I picked was uh, maybe the most unsettled I've been uh, at a movie. Uh, I'm talking about the movie Cats here. okay? Uh, The sequence in particular, uh, I'm just going to... It's not a shadow. I'm just going to hyper-focus on the sequence that really chilled me to the bone. In Cats, the movie directed by... Oscar winner, Tom Hooper. There's a scene where, where Rebel Wilson as Jenny, any dots, the Gumbel cat,
0: <laughs> right? Uh, as we all know,
1: as we all know, I, I should go without saying she dances uh, in the sequence with cockroaches. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. It's disturbing. I hate it. Uh, I saw this movie once in a theater and that was enough for me. Uh, I hey, and I'm a huge defender of Hooper's Les Misérables. Okay, so I, if 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 anything, I was I was gonna be the person to say, hey, cats is good. But no, in no way, in form, in no way and or form is cats good. Okay, it's bad. Uh, should not exist. Uh, the dancing in it in particular is bad. Does not connect to the story at all. Bad movie, bad, bad, bad. That's all I can say about cats. Moving on, the good choice. Of course, I had to pick Magic Mike. (laughs) There's no, there was no other way around it. Okay, let me talk about Steven Soderbergh's Magic Mike. Soderbergh, my favorite film director. I went longest time, uh, you know, not seeing Magic Mike, like for whatever reason. I mean, at this point, when I was doing uh, my podcast, uh, Soderbergh 2828. Uh, with Mike Schindler. Uh, we were going through Soderbergh's filmography in order. And when we got to Magic Mike, I'm like, oh, Magic Mike, a uh, blind spot for me uh, when it comes to Soderbergh. I'll finally watch it. And uh, yeah, this was before I really had this realization where I'm like, there are movies I just haven't seen that I, I should see and like don't see for you know, it being a musical or a dance movie. I mean, that's why I, th- I think I haven't seen any Step Up movies. Because, like, those came out at a time when I was just, like, flat out refusing to see them. And I finally saw Magic Mike, and I'm like, oh, God, yes, this movie is actually amazing. It's like, not only does it have, like, amazing dance sequences, not only do you see, like, the... I mean, going back to uh, performers I admire for for their dance abilities, like Channing Tatum, uh, if there was any question of, like, him being a star, after seeing Magic Mike, I'm like, oh, yeah, Channing Tatum in the right role... In the right movie, like he can excel in uh, talking to people about Magic Mike, sort of like trying to convince them to see it. I I, I may say something like, "Yeah, it's kind of like an after-school special, but it's, a, it's an after-school special shot by Steven Soderbergh." <laughs> uh, because yes, like uh, uh, Magic Mike, uh, uh, you know, meets uh, with the kid played by Alex Pettifer. Uh, who is like kind of like a, a an audience surrogate uh, in this world of male stripping, and and yeah, of course the kid falls into the traps you see in these sorts of movies where like he you know he he uses the money from dancing to buy drugs and like he loses control and uh, Channing Tatum's Magic Mike it tries to you know help him out and uh, Mike falls in love with like the kid's sister and like sure yada yada yada. It's so well-made, though. It's like, I'll give it that. It's such an excellent movie when it comes to the craft. And also, I think it's smart when it when it focuses more on the Magic Mike character. I, I feel for him when, like, his uh, his plot, his through line for the movie is him just trying to make it on his own. Like, start his own business. But he can't do it because he's just tied down... Uh, uh, because of the world of of male stripping, it's like that that whole like you know judging something on the face of it. I, I mean, I, I like that this movie uh, you know faces that uh, head on. Um, but yeah, I, I think it, I think it says a lot of smart things. Even though yes, I may say it's like an after school special. It's it's a smartly made after after school special, and that's why I think I like uh, XXL a little bit more because it kind of like tosses away those heavier themes and becomes like a much more fun movie. But hey, I mean, before you get to XXL, you gotta experience the first one. So yeah, that's my good pick uh, for this, is Magic Mike, the first one.
0: Yeah, um, I have seen both of your picks. Uh, We've talked about Cats on here on the show previously, so I won't go too far into that. (laughs) But um, I do find Cats to at least be a fascinating bad movie. (sighs) It is one of those where it's just like, I can't believe this happened and i will say there's a great dance sequence in that movie uh which is a skimble shanks the railway cat uh doing his dancing down the railroad i would argue is an amazing dance number from that tap dancer guy whose name i can't remember play that played uh, that particular cat um but at the same time it is uh largely just a bizarre fascinating over budget terrible mess that uh, i'm I'll, I'll say this much i'd rather watch cats more than like any other tom hooper movie again uh yeah I you know what They're,
1: yeah, that's fair. <laughs>
0: that's fair. There are other ones I think might be better technically, like The King's Speech is technically a better movie, but I don't know. I want to see Skimbleshanks again. I don't see fucking <laughs> uh, Colin Firth doing any tap dancing down the railroad in that fucking movie. Um, but then Magic Mike, uh, as I mentioned, I rewatched uh, both the Magic Mikes recently just in prep for his last dance. Um, and I will say that I think the original Magic Mike is fascinating because it was definitely one of those, like it was marketed totally on just like, there are hot dudes that are stripping down and dancing and i remember the weird phenomenon of that like i went to see something else around that same summer like when it was out it was one of the rare times in my life i've actually seen lines around a theater building wow to see a movie (laughs) with fucking magic mike which i did not see in a theater but i would see later at home and i found quite interesting especially because like i would this equate to like an after-school special and it feels a lot more like a lot of those like kind of intimate 70s dramas where like it has more in common with like midnight cowboy that yeah. does like uh, a traditional kind of like, oh, like a fun and sort of like everybody, like these guys are like taking their shirts off kind of strip movie. And I think that's what is fascinating about it. I get why that kind of was like, sort of polarizing amongst some people, particularly the women who are just like, I always want to see him be hot. I don't care about, like, their drug problems. Yeah. Uh, but uh, at the same time, I found a lot of that investing. It feels kind of like you see the glitz of them on stage and then, like, the kind of behind-the-scenes turmoil. I found, like, pretty engrossing. I think especially with, like, how Matthew McConaughey goes from, like, being the typical, is, like, I see a lot of lawbreakers out here to being kind of like a Machiavellian monster man. Yeah. <laughs> as, like, the movie goes along. It, I think I find that fascinating. But if anything, like, my only real trouble with that movie is... um. Alex Pettifer is a fucking terrible actor he always (laughs) has been and he really is just like the movie only works well because of like Tatum and everybody else kind of around him exactly trying to like lift up his lesser spirits like even I was a lot harder on uh, Cody Horn when I first saw this who plays the love interest now it's just like well at least she feels like a bit more down to earth and natural as opposed to like Pettifer looks like he's angry to be in the movie (laughs) and it's like fine dude Fuck you.
1: <laughs> I, I will say, I'm glad you mentioned uh Cody Horn because like she has this sort of thing that I think I like about like Soderbergh's uh, direction. Okay, yeah. She has this unusual way about her in this in Magic Mike, right? Where I'm not gonna say she's a bad actress, but it just she just maybe feels too natural of a performer
0: i mean what, it, what to me it feels like she's like off-brand Kristen stewart yeah like not necessarily in a bad way but yeah. she's like just like i can get Kristen stewart at my local supermarket <laughs> so i'll get my cody horn instead
1: but but see like with uh the direction by soderbergh like i think i think to, um i think back to like uh, the Girlfriend Experience or like Haywire or like particular act. Oh, I sh- we shouldn't talk about Haywire, but whatever. Um, Girlfriend Experience. What are you where- talking about? There's so many great people in the movie and just a
0: black <laughs> void who plays this, the lead character, right?
1: But that, that's that's kind of my, my, my thing about it. Like Soderbergh does like blank voids. Not to say – I'm. let me just jump ahead here. Not to say Sasha Gray and Girlfriend Experience is a blank void, but she's not like, you know, actress, actress, that. He in casts
0: untraditional actors. Thank you, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, So th- that's why I think I, I appreciate Cody Horn in the movie, although I don't think she's, like, the best actress. So that's my, you know, semi-defense of, of right. her in that movie. And
0: and I'll also say people were decrying the whole thing about, like, why does everything look like piss yellow oh. with, like, the color filter? Um, I will say, as someone who was born and raised in Tampa Bay, I can tell you, <laughs> That is the way it fucking looks like at certain points. <laughs> that kind of like piss yellow filter captures the vibe. I will say of Tampa.
1: <laughs> and also I, I'll say this. I don't think I've ever said this on my Steven Soderbergh podcast, but Steven Soderbergh as a cinematographer loves that piss yellow. <laughs> he loves that look. And I'm like, Hey, I'll, I'll buy into it. Cause you're my favorite filmmaker. Uh, otherwise. Yeah. I totally agree. Like, And in a lot of his movies, he does tend to go that way, which I'm like, I've made my peace with it.
0: You'll take that golden shower from Steven anytime, anytime. (laughs) Let
1: me be on record to say, yes, I will take that golden shower (laughs) by Steven Zolber.
0: Steven, call him. Or Peter Andrews or one of your other artists if you don't want anybody to connect. Peter, go ahead. (laughs) Uh, Well, on that note, uh, let's repeat our titles briefly uh, from The Double review in case you're curious to see uh, either of our films. Uh, My good choice was Step Up 3D, and my bad choice was Staying Alive.
1: Yes, and my good choice was Magic Mike, and my bad choice was Cats.
0: Yes, um, and uh, we'll be doing our picking for next week's episode at the end of the so stay tuned for that. Uh, But we want to thank some people before we get out of here. We want to thank Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used for our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Uh, thanks to Christian Thor Lally for our artwork. Uh, find him at night of water that's night with a K, underscore of, underscore water, at various socials for all his great stuff. And thanks, of course, to our Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash where for just $1 a month, you all get to do stuff like vote and polls for individual movies or topics that we cover for the show. And uh, you also uh, get access to bonus podcasts, Uh, That we put out there, like at least one a month, including uh, at some point later in February, uh, Adam and I, while he'll take a brief break from his uh, hiatus to come on and do our award show that we're going to be doing the first annual version of The Dubs, which is our dumb award show title that we came up with for from, you know, the movies from 2022 that we wanted to honor. Uh, You know, we got like best actress, best actor, like all that stuff. We'll be doing awards for that. And while I'm talking about the patrons, over there at patreon.com slash dedbpod, uh, we do have a call to action that's currently up and about, uh, if you're listening to this on the week that it's come out. Um, Basically, uh, next month, uh, our big bonus podcast is going to be our usual March Madness bracket face-off, where we have 32 choices uh, that face off against each other uh, with a panel of uh, folks that we've selected. It's uh, Adam, myself, and three other guests who will be on there, and uh, we'll be uh, debating the uh, best animated film for our March Madness bracket. So, you know, 32 choices will face off against each other in that sort of March Madness bracket order until we eventually crown the winner, uh, which is official, no kind of uh, doubt about it. Um, but the thing is, every year we do that, we have uh, each of our guests, uh, and Adam and myself select six choices each, which totals to 30, but we always leave two choices open for the patrons to suggest choices for. So over there at patreon.com slash DEDBpod, uh, you have from uh, now until it's February 10th at midnight Eastern Standard Time to make your suggestion, and we might end up being selected. We'll credit you on the show if it ends up being selected, and uh, we'll, uh, yeah, two choices from the patrons will end up being uh, facing off in this big March Madness competition. And, uh, of course, I also want to thank our lovely guest, Marcelo, for being on the show. Marcelo, thank you so much for coming on. What do you want to plug out there for everybody?
1: All right. Where do I even begin? (laughs) Um, TalkFilmSociety.com. Go there. Uh, I mean, you're listening to this, uh, Double Edge, Double Bill. Uh, We host that on the website. You can also find Monsters Never Die. You can find uh, It Pod to Be You. And you can find the flagship Talk Film Society podcast, uh, where right now, me and Marcus Irving are doing a series on award season 2022. Uh, it's are uh, doing a weekly show leading up to uh, the Oscars, and also uh, hyping up the Talk Film Society Awards, uh, the 10th annual Talk Film Society Awards. Uh, the voting is open. Uh, the nominees have been announced. Uh, Go to TalkFilmSociety.com slash TFS Awards to vote. Look at the nominees. Have fun. Um, Oh, yeah. And Patreon.com slash TalkFilmSociety, uh, where Marcus and I do commentaries. And hey, uh, as of this recording, on the Patreon now, Thomas Mariani joined Marcus and I to talk over Malignant. And we had a good time. So listen to that uh, right now. Go do it. Um, but that's it plugs oh oh, and of course Soderbergh 2828 the podcast series I do with Mike Schindler that's coming back Uh, we're going to eventually talk about Magic Mike's Last Dance so uh, Mike and I have to figure out when we're going to do that but it's going to happen I'm excited every time Soderbergh does a movie we come back to do a podcast so that means like about you know once or twice a year (laughs) we do it so uh, I have a good time Uh, so that's it thank you by the way Thomas for having me on
0: Uh, no problem boss man (laughs) Okay, but yeah and I had a lot of fun in that malignant commentary Uh, we talked about the movie for some of it which (laughs) is is a bit different from most of your other (laughs) commentary kind of diverge away from doing that Um, but no that was a lot of fun Fun. and of course also we talked on society a bunch of the other coasts have been guests on here like Marcus was a guest the real Matt C uh, was of course a guest uh, for us as well Um, Manish of HIPAWU a bunch of People from the talk from society family. We're all part of one big happy family where we all break dance down the street. That's what Marcella makes us do. Exactly. That's
1: that's what I'm doing right now. I'm break dancing. Um, so <laughs> you can't see it, but I'm doing it.
0: Well, uh, for uh, more of our show, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at dedbpod. You can also submit feedback, like your own double redo choices and such, to our email doubleedgeddoublebill at gmail.com, all spelled out. And you can find me on Twitter and letterbox is that not the who's Tommy? I also do some writing at MarianiThomas.wordpress.com and at film-cred.com. And uh, for more of the show, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms. If you're listening on Talk Film Society, why not listen to all the other great shows that are there on the network that Marcella mentioned a bit earlier. And uh, you can also dig into the archives in our Podbean main feed for like over 200 episodes before we even joined TFS. And uh, if nothing else, if you can't you know, support us on the Patreon, it's totally cool. The free way to help myself and also, you know, all the other shows we talk them society out is to rate, review, or simply share the shows around. It gives us more visibility out there in the ether. But now it's time we did our picking for next week, as we usually like to do uh, every week. Uh, you know, Adam and I usually have two good and two bad picks. Uh, I'll keep in mind that even though Adam is on his hiatus, he has sent me his bad picks for the upcoming episode. That'll be Ooh. a thing even when he doesn't, he's not on the show, he's still submitting whatever other choices I don't have. So um, I have the two good choices, I have, and Adam have the two bad choices, and we assign them usually a number between 1 and 10, and uh, you know the the alt person, in this case Marcelo, will be picking a number between 1 and 10 for the choices, and um, if he says, for example, like, hey, I'm going to pick number 6, I'll say, okay, that's close to number 8, which has this particular choice on there, that's how we get our good And our bad pick, usually. But keep in mind, uh, our good picks have actually been chosen already by our patrons. As I mentioned earlier, patreon.com slash dedbpod. Uh, They chose the good pick for next week's episode, which, if all goes well, is coming out on Valentine's Day. And uh, we're doing another romance-themed episode, in this case, about doomed romances. Which basically just means uh, romances where the couple doesn't get together at the end, unfortunately. Uh, But... You know, uh, there's still plenty of good or bad movies to cover within that kind of spectrum. And uh, I uh, had the two good picks that our patrons voted between. It was between uh, the Joe Carney movie Once, which ended up losing to the actual good pick, which will be The Worst Person in the World. Uh, wow. Great movie from last year. Uh, very fascinating to talk But You're a fan of that one, aren't you, Marcelo?
1: I, I am a fan. That, that hit me in, in, in all the places people are supposed to feel. I think the heart is what they call it. But yeah, it's, it's a good one.
0: <laughs> That's what the humans have, That's right? That's what the, humans the have. Heart. <laughs> yes. uh, But you still get to pick a number between 1 and 10 for Adam's bad choices here. So please pick a number between 1 and 10.
1: All right, I'm going to go with my favorite number, 3. Okay. At number 3 on
0: the dot, uh, Adam had a choice uh, for a movie that actually we've seen together when I went and visited him uh, last year. Um, it is a movie... Uh, That is the debut of, uh, I believe, of the director of Birdemic. Uh, But he initially started out with a interesting little sci-fi tinged romance story called Julie and Jack.
1: Do you have any idea what this is? I have no idea. Oh, oh. And I, I, I like to apologize to uh, the next guest or whoever talks about this movie because I have no idea what it is. But if it's from the director of Birdemic, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, uh oh.
0: Yeah, there's a lot more. There's a lot of fun things to discuss. Okay. <laughs> be discussing okay. with okay. Our next guest, <laughs> but at uh, the other side of things, uh, over at number nine, uh, Adam had a pick: uh, the breakup, the oh. Vince vaughn Jennifer Aniston movie. Um, that is a movie. I don't know if we've had much to talk about with that. I think it's fine. Whatever.
1: Yeah, I have no memory of it. I don't think I've ever seen it. That's Jennifer Aniston, yeah.
0: right? Yeah, Jennifer Aniston and Vince Vaughn. That's I mean, oh. you know, a pair like that makes so much sense. Snooze. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Next time. That'll be a lot of fun to talk about that double feature. But until then, uh, you know, the podcast is over, Marcelo, so let's go breakdance into the streets and spread the word. Oh, right. boogaloo, the good kind of word. Let's do it.
1: Let's take down capitalism and gentrification. Let's go.